Yo, 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 hey, 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 we are back with another episode of Dialogue Heavy and with yours truly, Michael Anthony McMillan. Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are. Thank you for listening to your boy. So guys, we got to be intentional and deliberate with everything that we want in this life. So I will tell you two things. One. I started this podcast, the Dialogue Heavy Podcast, to share my story with my friends, family, and fans, and to, you know, hopefully garner the attention of the people that can help me share my stories with the world, and that is what we're doing right here. So, we are continuing in the saga of Sister Edna and her sexual exploits, or none at all. She is a nun, we know, and um, she's trying to have sex and stuff like that. You already know what's been going on in the story. The last episode was journal entry 293, where we kind of went on um, down memory lane. Um, uh, Yeah, Sister Edna was telling us about her childhood, how she was raised, how she had a great family and a good father, a good mother. And then things changed one day when her dad became a gambling addict and unfortunately got killed by some people. And that forced her mother, who was previously uh, a homemaker not having many options she ended up dating a few guys nothing working out and then she got with a gentleman named chili thompson who wasn't a gentleman at all and long story short he tried to overtake sister edna when she was little baby edna while she was a young girl not of age he tried to molest her and she fought her way out of it by choking his ass half to death good for her good for edna and but that put her in a in a debacle with her mother because her mother was aging and she wasn't looking as good as she used to anymore and she you know she caught the lottery when she married a person who won the lottery in Chile and um she had to make a decision and so she needed to save her daughter but at the same time she needed to save herself from obscurity and, and, and poverty so she sent her daughter to the convent and that's how we got sister Edna to be in that life so now we know that sister Edna never wanted this life in the first place but you know it was forced upon her and um you know so she never really had a love life or really never really met boys and stuff so now you know a little bit more about her so now we're just going to get into this next chapter of um none and uh without further ado i bring to you journal entry number one believe it or not and as you know everything on this dialogue uh, on the dialogue heavy podcast has been written and recited by Yours truly, Michael Anthony McMillan. So, here we go. Journal entry one. So, it finally came to a head, ladies and gents. I got my ass kicked out of the convent, stripped of all my nun-like duties, and told never to return. So, this is a new journal and a new notebook of my new life. And I'll tell you one thing. As much as I'd like to say, I stuck it to the ladies of the St. Beachian Sisterhood. The truth is... I didn't. You know, I actually thought to myself that when I eventually got caught, although I would be totally scared, I would take the Tony Montana way out. By that, I mean, I would be brash and bold and maybe even scream scream a bunch of obscenities and curse words, damning everyone within earshot to hell as I was pushed out the door. But in reality, what really happened was I cowered like a little squirrel was handed my walking papers and had the doors of the only place I've known as a home for the last 30 years of my life slammed in my face on a rainy morning day. (laughs) But what I continue to argue is this, I didn't get caught, 
doing the things of my last journal entry or of my last journal, but just having the thoughts. Yes, they were sexually vivid and graphic, but still I remain. They were thoughts put on paper, my paper of my journal. And I never pressed my visions of fornication on any other sister in the convent. Literally no one else knew or had a goddamn clue about my thoughts until the snooper of all snoopers came into my room, violated my privacy, and then made me of the pariah. Isn't that a crying shame? That I wasn't even supposed to feel the way that I felt because I was a nun? It's fucking ridiculous. So, I'm out in the real world, scared shitless, with no one and no resources to rely on. But the fact that I have already been able to use my mind independent of religious context to be independent proves to myself that I'm not completely hopeless. I say that because as you know, nuns don't have an income. So although you come into the faith with nothing and everything is provided for you in the convent life, if you ever do leave, you pretty much only have the clothes on your back. Luckily for me, with those letters my mom sent me all those years back, there was always a small check in, a small check enclosed within. So I cashed all that weren't expired and set myself up in a little ratty motel, you know, to make it stretch. I got just the bare essentials for living, a few sets of clothes from a local thrift shop and my food from the clearance bin at the grocery. My mother taught me how to stretch a dime after my dad and before Chili. And then, as you know, nuns, they live on little, so it wasn't that hard. Now, it's been a little over a week since the blow up of all blow ups, and it's taken me until now for my panic level to subside, but I believe I'll be all right. The only other problem it seems that I'm having is human contact. I don't know who to trust or who to talk to because peace and serenity is all good inside the safety of the convent surrounded by women of the same faith. But this morning, a gentleman knocked on my door with a blue suit with gold trim and asked me if his bitch was in my place. And 30 minutes later, that bitch he spoke of knocked on my door, drug, drugged up with a black eye begging for me to hide her from the pimp. Yeah. So I'm sitting in this tiny room alone with coffee and cigarette burns burns on the carpet and a bed with rusty and broken spring uh, bed springs in it. And it is a far cry from the convent and the hookers, pimps, drug dealers and drug dealers that walk the main street less than 50 feet away from my front doorstep at all hours of the, now, uh, of the night don't hold a candle to the sisters back at home. But one thing I realized in my short tenure here is freedom is everything. And the last sister act by Sister Superior put everything into perspective for me and I will never go back. So, as I was finishing journal entry 296 in my last journal, tired and exhausted from unveiling everything from my past, Sister Tiffany came into my dormitory and told me that she was leaving the convent. Now, in my many years as a nun, this was normal. Young girls who don't have a ton of life experience, uh, uh, much uh, have not experienced have have excuse me guys, young girls who don't have a ton of of life experienced have uh, that decided too young to give their life to God go through this all the time. But Sister Tiffany's reasoning 
is what shocked me, startled me actually. And that's what distracted me from stashing my journal thoroughly as I usually did. So Sister Tiffany had been noticeably gaining weight since her final vows when she got married. It happens to us all the time in the faith and the people that come into the faith at an early age. In college, I think they call it the freshman 15. Well, we call it faith weight. It's basically stress eating. Young people who go from busy schedules of trying to run in the rat race of life suddenly do nothing but pray. And suddenly the time, all that time that they have to think about the commitment that they just made to a life of no sex, no booze, and no boys, they start replacing that with other activities like food. Anyway, Sister Tiffany was no different, or so we thought. But what ended up happening is that everything Sister Tiffany was portraying to the convent and me and to the other sisters was a lie. She wasn't a business major in college. She didn't even go to college. In fact, like me, she was a cast off of her family. And instead of, in, in her fear of losing them, forever after one night of her drunken tirades at a family function that landed her in jail with a broken back and a DUI, the only way of redeeming herself to her family was to spend a year in a religious convent. It was cheaper for her and her family than rehab and her boyfriend agreed to wait for her if she was sober by the end of it. And that, my friends, is a whole nother twist in the story. As it turns out, Sister Tiffany, or just regular old Tiffany, I should say now, wasn't mad at Germany for hugging me back at their wedding because it was an inappropriate thing for him to do by hugging a nun. Nope. No. Germany had a flirtatious eye and Sister Tiffany was trying to protect what was hers. Yeah, you heard me just right. Hers. Germany wasn't her fucking brother. Mr. Chocolate Drop of My Dreams was her fiance, who was waiting for her to exit the convent and wed, it, and wed her in real life. I'm telling you, I couldn't make this shit up if I tried. And while I was having that fucking wet dream of making out with him behind the bar the night of her wedding, Sister Tiffany had escaped the convent and was doing the real thing with Germany. The consistent weight gain afterwards? You guessed it. Sister Tiffany committed adultery to God with her fiance on the night of her wedding and what she got in return was a goddamn baby. Jesus Christ almighty. Thank God I never told her I wanted to fuck her brother boyfriend. Could you imagine? Actually, more on that later. So, as you can imagine, Sister Tiffany left me in my room alone that night in complete disarray. I wasn't to sell, tell a soul about her infidelity while I was still dealing, and I was supposed to do that while still dealing with my own issues. I tossed and turned the whole night, and when I went downstairs the next morning for prayer, I was so riddled with so much anxiety that my eyelids shuddered uncontrollably. God didn't get a damn thing out of me that morning in prayer. And all I can think of was Sister Tiffany and Germany, then Germany and the mad priest and all of the reasons why even under the circumstances of what Tiffany was going to go through later, at least she had her truth on the outside of her and she can go on and be fucking happy after the fire. I was partly jealous. I knew she was going to have a rough road, but she at least had it on, on the outside. But how wrong was I 
Because little did I know, by hours end, the dirty laundry of both Sister Tiffany and I would be aired out for the whole convent to see. Now it's customary for Sister Superior to do welfare checks during the morning prayer, where she walks the halls and the rooms of the convent and makes sure everything is tidy. She was like a drill sergeant in that way, Sister Superior. She always said, cleansliness is next to godliness. That was always one of her monikers, and she meant it. Beds had to be made to military precision. Desks had to be clear of stationaries. Robes had to be folded or hung in the closet by color. She was brutal. But personal property is still personal property, and respect of one's property should be honored. But it wasn't that morning. I imagine when she saw my journal sticking out from under my pillow, something in her told her to leave it alone. Or at the very least, shove it deeper where nobody could see it. I mean, I mean, seriously, what does anyone else's belongings mean to you? Why didn't she just take note of it and tell me to clean up better after myself? She'd done that before. But no, the universe, God, whatever, or plain nosiness deemed her to read every fucking page. By the time I finished pouring the 12 glasses of orange juice and brought them out to the table that morning, she was reciting my past like a goddamn Bible verse. She told all the sisters, my mother, uh, she told all the sisters of my mother and my father's death. Chili and the attempted molestation, my refuge with the mad priest and me wanting to fuck some of my students' fathers. And the icing on the cake was, of course, my beloved Germany. And I had 11 nuns looking at me like the scum of the earth. I was fucking mortified. Stripped naked in front of everyone I respected and cared for it and I had nowhere to hide. Sister Tiffany wanted to kill me, I'm sure. She looked like she did, but I'm sure in fear of her being found out, the only reason why there wasn't a human cat fight in the dining room, that was the reason why there wasn't a human cat fight in the dining room, but... But nobody would look at me afterwards. It was beyond embarrassing. My intimate of intimates were being aired out and the sisters didn't get up, leave, or ask Sister Superior to stop. No, 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 no. They ate that shit up with their bacon and eggs and had it for toast. It was like my life was their entertainment, their movie of the week. And when it was over, I didn't get a look. I didn't even get the luxury of an applause. I got what I got was a version of a Miranda rights and a foot and a foot in the ass and out the door. I was shaking. Half furious, half scared to death of what my life would be out on my own, out on my ass. I could have deflected. I should have deflected. I should have fought that my privacy was invaded. Shit, I should have told holier than thou and the rest of them that there was a fucking immaculate conception in our presence with Sister Tiffany sitting at the end of the damn table pregnant. But did I do that? No. Instead, I cried like a goddamn river, sobbing with snot to boot. I didn't even know what the hell was wrong with me, but I assume it was the release of decades of shit I had on my shoulders. I must have cried for 20 minutes straight up in my dormitory. And guess what? Nobody came to check on me. Nobody asked how I was doing. These people were supposed to be my sisters and all of a sudden I was just alone. I was in the dark. But then something happened. 
an internal light came rushing in. And along with it, the tiniest bit of strength. I was still extremely fragile, but something inside of me was saying that all was going to be okay. I changed out of that fucking robe for the last time and packed that one little bag and hit the door without saying a word to anyone and without caring about the eyeballs that I knew were looking at me with shame. Then, (laughs) I walked out. And I was wearing every bit of the same blue jeans and black sweater I always wore when I went to go see the mad priest. And there was a charter bus sitting in the driveway. Sister Superior and the master priest from a different convent, Priest Tagen, were talking in the nearby garden. And they stopped when they saw me. Now, I was a little bit more happier on the inside, but I still was feeling the effects of the morning. So I lowered my head as I walked past them, not wanting to gain any more notoriety on my exit. Then, boom. As I walked past the last few windows of the bus, there he was. The mad priest. It was like a breath of fresh air seeing him. He was smoking and having a laugh. Gorgeous he was in his own element. Being himself and shedding himself of the priest moniker, if only for a second. We caught eyes for a slow motion movie moment. Then I put my head down. But I did hear the creak of the windowsill open. So as I left, I heard the creak of the bus window sill open. So I felt as if he knew it was me. And when I closed the convent door behind me and scrounged up the courage to peek back, Then I knew for sure it was me as he was halfway out of the window staring my way. And something inside of me felt good as I walked down that wet cobblestone road that morning. I'm not sure how or why I felt it, but I did. Now, I still haven't gone to see the mad priest since then. I can't bear the embarrassment again, as I'm sure he knows about all all about my notebooks and Shit, for all I know, there could be ramifications against him because he's in almost every page of them for at least the last two months, but I can't worry about that now. I need to learn how to survive here. Find a way to make money. Find a way to eat. Try to find a way to eat more than clearance items anyway. And find a way out of this goddamn motel room before I get killed. (laughs) All things considered, with all of that said, I still want to (laughs) fuck. My standards have changed, but that itch still needs scratching. I'm human. Hey, maybe I can kill two birds with one stone and hook up with that abusive pimp with the blue suit. Maybe he can get me my first John. I can have sex and make money at the same time. (laughs) Just kidding. I would never do that. I got to go. And boom, beep, 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 beep. Thanks for listening, guys, for another episode of Dialogue Heavy. Sister Edna, she's going through it. She's actually out of the convent now, man. So who knows what life is going to be like? Who knows if she's going to get with the mad priest and try to talk some things out? Uh, I don't know. And that's literally as far as I've written so far. So um, we're going to be making up some things in the next week or so. And um, you'll know when I know. So thank you for listening. I hope you liked it. I hope you loved it. And if you didn't, I hope you at least listen and um, learn something from it. So 
keep on writing, keep on going on this on this road, man. And I, I think and I love you guys. Peace. I'm out of here.